What's up, Night fans? Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here along with Eric Lopez. And uh, Elo, you were at that crazy UCF-USF basketball game. Is the roof still on the building or what? Yeah, it was something. It was fun to be in there. And uh, who would have thought that uh, we would witness uh, history, history, UCF basketball history, American Conference basketball history, uh, all in one night. We're going to talk about that. Matt Williams' big night against the Bulls. We're going to talk, and uh, our special guest, we got another guest this time, Eric Lopez, Taylor Young joining us. He's, of course, the radio analyst for uh, UCF basketball alongside Mark Daniels. Played at UCF for a long time. When I was doing UCF Sports Night, he was a player at the time and uh, just knows UCF basketball inside and out. And he gives us some great perspective, not just on uh, Matt Williams's performance uh, against USF and throughout the season, but really the the entire season in general for uh, UCF basketball. We'll also take a look at women's basketball as well uh, as they continue their run in the American. Also, tennis getting underway at the new tennis complex down uh, down at the USTA Center, and uh, also some UCF cheerleading news that we'll we'll get to later on in the podcast. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Follow me. Uh, Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. Follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. And also look us up on Facebook at blackandgoldbanneret.com. And subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, of course, iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, make sure you leave us a review. And uh, also tune in. Just recently added on uh, tune in as well. All right, Eric Lopez. So the big story from the week, obviously, the first installment in men's basketball of the war on I-4 uh, for, uh, for this season. 86-64, the final, uh, back on Tuesday, uh, January 17th. We're recording this the night after on Wednesday, January 18th. But, uh, wow, what a performance by Matt Williams, who uh, set about erasing some old records off the UCF single-game record, uh, record book. He finishes 12 of 23 for the game, 11 of 21 from beyond the arc, 38 points 11 threes made that is a new school record not only did he break it he smashed it the previous record uh for UCF uh was eight threes in one game that um was jointly held by Jason Thornton back in 2000 Brad Trena in 1999 and Harry Kennedy in 1996 Matt's previous career high was seven uh which was back against Florida Tech in December of 2012 uh, Mike O'Donnell, Gary Johnson, Harry Kennedy also tied him up at second in the list at seven there. Uh, 29 times a UCF player has hit six threes in a game, but uh, he smashes through with uh, 11 three-point makes. Uh, he also smashed the record for attempts, which is another thing entirely with the, t- with the uh, 21 three-point attempts as well. But uh, his 38 points uh, is the... Tied for the third best ever single game uh, individual point total in UCF's Division I history, uh, tied with two performances by Jermaine Taylor back in 09 against UTEP and then 08 against Chicago State. Both those games I actually uh, watched the UTEP game live on TV and then uh, was working camera for the Chicago State game. Uh, Mark Jones had a 42 in a game in 97, and in the Division I era, 45 is the record by Jermaine wow. Taylor against Rice back in February of 09. I remember watching that game very well. It was an unbelievable basketball game. Of course, Bo Clark is all over the record books if you include UCF's uh, pre-Division I 
um, marks with uh, he's he's got like I think I think five out of the top six performances. Uh, Bo Clark does, including 70 in a game against Florida Memorial way back in 1977. But this is about Matt Williams, man. What an unbelievable performance. You were there. What yeah. was it like in that arena? It really was amazing. Uh, first of all, I want to get to the Jermaine. You were the, 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 the Jermaine Taylor games. I got a couple quick tidbits on that. The Chicago State game, was that the one where he had the famous, I think it was a 360 dunk in that game? It was one of the best was. dunks in the it seemed like uh, every everybody... game that that was that oh eight oh nine season where yeah. he just went off. He averaged twenty six a game that year. That was a senior season. Every game he had one yeah. highlight dunk, and sometimes they all go together. But I think that was the one. That was a, I remember watching that because I was not at the game, but I remember and I remember I was listening to Mark on the radio, and he went nuts uh, calling that. And then the funny thing about the Rice game, I was calling the UCF softball game that was up against that basketball game. And for those that don't know, a lot of times that will happen where they kind of contrast. And softball, I think, started like at 5.30 or 6, and basketball started at 7. So I did the softball game, and then I head over to the Rice game, and it was towards the end. And the whole arena was just in awe. It was just surreal. They were like, man, I can't believe I just saw that. What Jermaine did. I'm like, wow. You know, and they were talking about Jermaine's performance. I'm thinking, oh, we won, right? And I walk in and turned out, no, we lost. What, no, like, what? we lost that game. But but yet people were in awe of that performance that Jermaine had with 45. I've never seen anything like it where fans were leaving the building and the team lost, but yet they were still like not even talking about the result. They were just talking about the performance of a player. Um, so I guess the reason I wanted to bring that up first, it tells you how impressive it was what Matt Williams did and to be in that building to see it, that's the most points I've ever seen any UCF basketball player score since I've been going to basketball games there uh, over a decade now. We're talking 2003, 2004. I've been going to games on a consistent basis. And it, it's funny because it kind of snuck up on you because he got off to a slow start. He missed his first three shots. And next thing you know, he got it going. And Boy, in the early in that second half, when he drilled that three, when you, they started to pull away from South Florida, now the attention was, man, where is this going to get to? And uh, he's been remarkable to watch. And I've said this on this previous podcast. I've said it on the radio shows that I do on 1080. Uh, you know, one of the reasons UCF's doing so well this year is, you know, Matt Williams, who who's had injury issues and, and, his, and, and his role was kind of, much smaller on the last previous years uh, has played at an all conference level and he has made UCF dangerous. You have to take account for him because he can hit it from anywhere. He's hitting them, Jeff, from the, from the logo, by the logo. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a night. It was like watching uh, like Steph Curry in that game. You know, it, yeah, it, it, that, mean, that's what, that's what it feels like to be in the arena you know, out in Oakland when Steph has it. You mentioned that first half. He missed his first three shots. He finished making seven of his last nine in the first half. At halftime, he was six of 11 from three-point range. He had 20 points. And yep. then he finished that. So talk about consistency. He finished up, obviously, 18 points in the, um, in the second half, uh, all of them from outside the arc to finish with uh, 38 points. And UCF gets the win against USF. Uh, going away, led by a dozen at the half, and never looked back. Of course, USF is struggling this year. Fired their coach Orlando Antigua. Um, they're going to have to rebuild that program from scratch pretty much once this season's over. But um, to do that against your rival, 
And, and I've seen, like I said, I, I've seen those performances from uh, from Jermaine Taylor, saw them up close, because I used to actually be one of the arena camera guys underneath. If you're looking at it from the TV perspective, I was underneath the basket to the left, which was the one in front of the student section. And uh, and I've seen I've seen the best of Jermaine in that senior year. And, you know, he but he was kind of inside outside. But, you know, don't underestimate his three point shot back in the day. But th- this was another thing entirely. And to see this from a guy like Matt Williams, fifth year guy who, like we've said before, basically said, I'm leaving UCF for my, you know, with the new coaching staff kind of my senior year. And and Coach Dawkins said, you know, all right, cool. No problem. If that's what you want to do, that's all right. Hang out by the gym, you know, keep yourself in shape, do whatever you got to do, and, and, you know, we'll help you out with whatever you want. And the integrity that, that Coach Dawkins displayed in that gesture really, I think, shone through to Matt, and he decided to stay and look at the season that he's having. He currently leads the team in scoring, um, but he has been just phenomenal, and he continues to get better. Can this keep up like this? That's a great question, and and who knows, right? I mean, why not? And and you mentioned that story. Matt Williams was out the door. I had a chance to talk to Coach Dawkins prior to the Houston game. He was on Tuck and O'Neill. You could hear weekdays, 3 to 7, and I happened to be filling in for Jerry that day with Mike Tuck. And I asked him that question, Jeff, about Matt Williams, like what's made him this good this year? And Coach Dawkins had this incredible answer as he talks about the Matt Williams story. Well, I think it starts with his story, you know, when Matt, you know, when I took the job here, of course, Matt was one of the first young men that wanted to meet with me and said that he wanted to pursue other options. And uh, so, of course, you know, I, you know, I his wishes, even though I said, hey, let's get to know each other first. And he said he wanted, you know, he was looking for a change. And uh, and that's what he did. So he actually transferred out to go to Wake Forest. And then, you know, about three or four weeks later, he was coming by the office. He was working out here every day and we had still allowed him to come in the gym and shoot and to hang out with the guys. We never let him, we, we let him allow them to do everything that he wanted to do. And about three or four weeks later, he came back and said, coach, you know, I think I may have made a mistake. You know, I want to play for you. And uh, I said, you know, would you have me back? And I'm like, absolutely, son. We'd love to have you back. I think the reason he's had so much success is because of that decision. I think the fact that he took ownership of his career, he took ownership of, you know, making a decision to change his mind at a young age. Most people, in his situation, even if they thought it was a mistake, would have went along with it. He said, no, coach, I think I made a mistake. Can I come back? And uh, I think by doing that, he took amazing ownership of himself and of, of our program at that point. And he's been all in. I mean, talking about a guy who's bought in. I mean, he has two feet in with us all the time. And, uh, and that's why I think he's, you know, he's having the success he's having. How about that, Jeff, as yeah. Coach Dawkins there said, that Matt Williams, by changing his mind, and, and, and he made a great point about it there in the interview, a lot of kids, once they decided to transfer, would probably stick with it no matter what. But for Matt Williams to say, you know what? No, I'm going to change my mind. I want to stay. And, and I think and, and to, I agree with Coach Dawkins. He's taken ownership of his career, and uh, it's been the biggest benefit uh, factor to the UCF season. A credit to Coach Dawkins, too, for not closing the door of Matt Williams. Uh, yeah. I think for help, you know, a lot of coaches would have said, oh, you're leaving. Well, you know, don't let the door hit you in the you-know-what. But Coach Dawkins left the door open. He let the assistants work with him, even though he was thinking of, he was basically going to leave. And uh, it's just phenomenal a story that, uh, that that has turned into and, and because there's no way UCF would be where they're at right now with without Matt Williams. And, and that's 
I think it's one of the things that has impressed me about Coach Dawkins is that he is able to connect with these players and communicate with them, uh, and these players are buying in. And so to answer your question about can this keep up, yeah, because I think these guys buy into what Coach Dawkins is selling, and and Dawkins knows how right now knows how this personnel. And remember, as good as they've played, you realize this team, A.J. Davis and B.J. Day, uh, Taylor, for example, they've only now played six games together. So they're still like they're still learning to play to, uh, together. That's the amazing thing about it. To put some perspective onto that, and you're right that you know they're fi- they're healthy, and when they're healthy, man, this is. This team is looking really good at this point. To put it, uh, you know, Matt's performance in perspective uh, in terms of the total stats, because um, I love looking back at this kind of stuff. Right now, uh, he's got he's made seventy threes for the season. The UCF single season record is one hundred and three by Gary Johnson back in oh four oh five. So right now, this season. Uh, he's uh, three more, and he and he gets into the top ten all time for a single season. Matt Williams does right now. He's made. I'm actually pulling up his stats on UCFNights.com right now. Uh, he's made 2015-2016. So 140. They have 148 threes prior to this year, plus 70. So that's 218. Career leader in three point makes is uh, Jermaine Taylor at 251. So he's got a shot to unseat Jermaine for the career record this year uh, at 218, 251. I'm doing some quick math in my head. That's 32, 33, right? That's check my, no, 43 more attempts, four, or 43 more makes. So with 12 games to go, that's not entirely outside of the realm of possibility of uh, uh, Matt Williams being the best three-point shooter in UCF history uh, when all is uh, said and done. And, you know, Coach Dawkins knows a little bit something about pretty good shooters because he had one, or he had many of them at Duke, and he said that the performance that Matt had against USF reminded him of one particular great Duke shooter that Orlando fans know of quite well. J.J. Reddick. Uh, you know, I, you know I, had to, I was fortunate to, uh, to coach J.J. for four years. And, uh, you know, Matt has had those moments for us to be at practice in, in, in several games. And it's just good to see. I mean, very rarely do you find a guy that uh, that shoots the ball, you know, that well and from that deep. You know, because he, he is, I mean, I always like to kill him. He has unlimited range, but he really can stretch the floor because of, because of his ability to shoot the ball from that deep. And that really helps us out. That's some pretty high praise. And, you know, looking back at the career that J.J. Redick had, not just at Duke, but in his uh, pro career, um, you know, I, I really do hope that, you know, the black and gold isn't the only um, colors that we see uh, Matt Williams in because he could be a really good shooter for someone down the line, uh, especially uh, in the program at, uh, at a, as a six foot five, 215-pound guard, you know, that's pretty much yeah, pretty much just about the same size as J.J. Redick was, right? So, um, you know, who knows? Who knows what's coming down the line for Matt Williams? But uh, if this continues, this is good news for the Knights. And, and you know, Elo, you know, look at where they stand in the season right now. The Knights uh, tied for uh, second in the conference at 5-1 and one in the league. Cincinnati leads at 5-0. and oh, But the Knights 14-4. and four. Overall, 10-1 and one at home. They have defended the home court. Uh, we were a little worried about that two-game stretch 
you know, against East Carolina and UConn when they didn't play very well, scored under 50 points, but they got the win against Houston. That was big on, uh, you know, at home, winning by seven, um, you know, bouncing back off to the lo- after the loss at UConn. Then you get the big win against USF. And now they have a tough stretch here coming up, Eric, where I got, let's see, four of the next six on the road, including some tough matchups at Houston, at Cincinnati, at Memphis. Um, this is a key stretch for UCF coming up now, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, this is where you find out where this team is going this year. Yep. It, I'm hoping that team, I'm hoping team. that we didn't see the peak. I'm hoping that we're we have yet. To well, see the peak. It, it's not even a question of a peak. It's a question of okay, can this team for them to have a shot to even make the NCAA tournament? This is the stretch that will decide that because this is the quality teams now you're playing. Uh, Tubby Smith and Memphis is playing very well. UCF said historically, if not had success in Memphis, they played. They've never won in that building. SMU is arguably the second best team in the league. They're they're on their way to the NCAA tournament. Houston's. A, I was there on Saturday. That was a high level game. They got one of the best players in the conference in Gray, who might you know could easily right now be in contention for Player of the Year. Yeah, so he's a problem. Uh, he's. They had no answers for him on that Saturday game either. I mean, that was a high quality game. So if this is, you know, these are the tough games. These are the games that now we find out, is this team an NCAA tournament team? Is this team an NIT team? Is this team a CBI team? Is this the th- team that can compete to be the third or fourth team in the, in the American Conference? Or is this a middle-of-the-pack team? This is the stretch where we find out about that. And, you know, that's the good and the bad of, the, of, of a league of the American is it gives you opportunities to play yourself into NCAAs and NITs. The negative is it could also play you, uh, you know, that back down to earth. So, you know, yeah. um, I'm fascinated by this stretch. This is the stretch that will define the season, in my opinion, one way or the other. When we talk again and, you know, we look back in late March and April and say about the season, it's like, well, you know, this team – accomplished this based on this, how they did in this stretch or man, if it wasn't for this stretch, they could have done, you know, that's to me what this is going to be about. And we'll learn a lot. And then uh, I, I think the guys are up for it. I think the guys are up for it. And, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they respond. Uh, I know they didn't, they weren't pleased with their last performance on the road at UConn, but UConn started to turn things around and that's not an easy place to play, but you know, that's the American Conference. You're going to have to steal some, beat some quality teams if you want to go places. Yeah, and, and and that I think they've proven that they have a shot to do. And I like to see how this next road stretch is going to come up. All right, so we wanted to get a little bit more depth on uh, UCF basketball right now. So who better to talk to than the radio analyst for UCF men's basketball, Taylor Young? Of course, you guys know him as the uh, former guard for UCF. Played, uh, started his career under Kirk Spiraw, finished under Donnie Jones, played alongside such great players as Jermaine Taylor uh, back in the day. Mike had it, also Mike O'Donnell. Isaiah Sykes kind of came in sort of at the end of uh, Taylor's career. You know, he was in there for the Marcus Jordan, A.J. Ropsa days. And uh, he just does such a great job on the UCF uh, broadcast with Mark Daniels. And we were lucky enough to have him on to talk a little UCF basketball after this historic game against USF. And without further ado, here is our discussion with Taylor Young. And joining us now is the radio analyst for UCF men's basketball, former UCF player, local kid from Orlando himself, Taylor Young, joining us for the very first time on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What's up, T.Y.? 
What's going on, fellas? I appreciate you having me on. We appreciate you making time for us, brother. So uh, let's start out with what, well, I mean, the big news right now, based on, uh, you know, last night's game against USF. Obviously, we're recording this on Wednesday night. And, uh, wow, Matt Williams, man, a school record, 11 three-pointers, 38 points. You had a front-row seat. Have you ever seen a performance like that up close? You know, not quite like that. You know, I've been around some great performances. I was talking on the radio last night, you know, being a part of those Jermaine Taylor teams and played with some some great players. Some of those nights that he'd get hot, you'd kind of just take a seat and just pass him the rock, run plays to him, and you just knew that you were witnessing greatness. And it just felt like that last night. You knew you were watching history. And what's amazing about it is he started 0 for 3. And so, you know, you talk about the green light he has and the confidence he has. Um, and it was just, it was phenomenal to watch. And, and I was so pleased with, you know, his teammates. Those guys knew it was his night, did everything they could to get him the basketball. And, and it couldn't happen to a better young man and, and, and Matt Williams. So I was thrilled for him. When you're out there 11. Playing... Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. Go, go ahead. No, I was going to say 11 threes. Let's not lose the fact 11 threes, a school record. And I've been thinking about it since I saw it in person. It, you know, and you play with some great shooters. You're a good shooter. I mean, I mean, where does he rank as far as best shooters you've seen play the, uh, wearing the black and gold? Well, yeah, and I texted Mike O'Donnell this uh, last night, and, and I'm sure we'll disagree. And I actually think Mike O'Donnell's one of the best shooters in the history. Uh, you'll see him in the record books just about everywhere as far as three-point field goal attempts, which he held that record, which I don't know if that's a good record. He shot 16 threes. Uh, in a game which he hit six, which is, you know, still good. A lot of made threes. But, you know, Matt Williams broke that with 21 three-point attempts. So, uh, I mean, I have to give him – if you talk about pure shooting ability, uh, the way he gets it off, his shot preparation, his quick trigger, um, I mean, anytime he catches the basketball, you got you got fans that were yelling at him to shoot the ball 80 feet away from the basket last <laughs> night, which I thought was hilarious. It's like Steph but, Curry, right? I, Number one, honestly, I, as far as what I've seen, um, because everyone knows he can shoot the ball. It's his fifth year. Uh, he's not he's not surprising anybody. So to go out and get 11 makes is, is just amazing. Well, we looked it up and single game three point field goal attempts. You're right. It was Mike at Marshall back in February of 08. Uh, Jermaine's up there a bunch of times. Harry Kennedy's up there. Guy played back in the mid 90s. Gary Johnson tried 14 in the tournament game against UConn back in March of 05. I remember that game. But in terms of makes in one game, the previous school record was eight, and that was uh, three guys tied for that. Jason Thornton, who I remember watching play when I was a student, uh, he was a real sharpshooter back in our A Sundays back in January of 2000. He made eight threes in a game. Brad Trena, who was a bit before my time, in uh, 99 against Georgia State, and, of course, Harry Kennedy in 96 against Jacksonville State. Mike's up there. He made seven in one game. Gary made seven threes against UConn in that game I mentioned earlier. But uh, uh, Matt's previous career high was six, and he blew that out of the water. When you see a guy who's in the zone like that and you're on the floor, is it hard to concentrate on what you have to do in terms of running the sets? Because I feel like if I'm out there and you see a guy who's hot, it's like you just – you got in the ball, and then you, it's, and then sometimes you got to catch yourself because you're like, oh my god, I just want to watch this guy doing this because this is poetry in motion. Yeah, you start, you start to become a fan, you know, and you fight that. Your coaches are telling you to stick to it, but you know, I, I watched Coach Dawkins after 
you know, Matt was really looking to get the record. You could tell everyone was pulling for him. And Matt had just missed a shot, and somebody burned a timeout. And as he was walking to the bench, you could just read Coach Dawkins' lips, and he just said, keep going. And that was the coolest part of the game for me, how bad he wanted him to get the record. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you start to become a fan. Uh, you start to look every which way how he's going to get a shot off. It starts to get ridiculous. We saw at the end of the game, you know, he was really looking to get 40. And I think that's why Coach Dawkins ended up pulling him out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just you're, you know you're watching history and he made it. And, hey, I, I would give anything to shoot 21 threes in a game, uh, <laughs> nevertheless make 11. So that, that's a shooter's dream. It's also the uh, tie for third best ever in terms of single-game points in UCF's Division I history. He's, uh, he tied up with Jermaine Taylor, 38, 38. You had 38 twice. Go ahead, Eric. No, I mean, I was going to mention that, but I also want to give credit. B.J. Taylor, and I've been impressed with Matt and B.J. and their chemistry in the backcourt playing together. Remember, B.J. didn't even play last year. Have you, what have you seen on the court in person that seems like B.J. and Matt really work well together? Yeah, you know, I think they have tremendous chemistry. And I actually think uh, Matt's played a much different role this year than he did last year. Um, he was more of that support role that would have a big game every once in a while. Um, now he's one of the clear key scores and just deadly from anywhere on the court. Um, so I think some of the addition by subtraction with some transfers, um, I think it helped Matt. And I think, you know, him being re-recruited and, and deciding to stay in Orlando – um, that decision really allowing him to, as he's becoming more and more healthy, because he struggled with that throughout his career, being so confident. But B.J. last night was, you'll hear the coaching staff talk about as one of his better floor games, uh, meaning that he ran the show. He picked the spots. He didn't wow you with scoring 20 like he has, you know, almost the last three games before that. Um, but he got his guy the ball. And what he's getting better at is when he, and one of my favorite things about his game, is he'll get by his man and he'll get in the paint and he'll kind of just settle. It's his pace. He uses his strength. He's very low base to the ground. And he'll either kick it and they'll run offense or he'll make a move and go try to finish at the rack. And he's got a nice little six to eight foot floater. So I really like that because he's got a great pace. And I think Matt just feeds off of that because on a lot of those drives, when he gets in there and settles, Matt does just an unbelievable job of relocating from spot to spot. And that's where a lot of his threes come. And so, yeah, I mean, those guys should be taking out uh, each other to dinner just every couple of times a week. And I'm sure they're great friends. Taylor Young joining us here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. You know, one of the things as we look at how the team is, you know, really formed and figured themselves out here in conference play. You know, we got a little nervous uh, when they had that two-game stretch against East Carolina and UConn when they scored 48 and then 49 points respectively. I thought that UConn game up in Hartford was a bit of a trap, but they got the win against Houston. They get this win against USF, and it feels like they're, they're, they caught the wave again. So what happened after those two really bad games that they played offensively that they've now figured out in the last two? Yeah, I think one of the biggest skills, Jeff, if you can call it a skill as a team, um, is to not lose a couple in a row. Or when you lose one, you're able to bounce back. And I really look at that Houston game, potentially down the road, you'll look back and point to it and say, yes, that could have gone either way. Uh, um, when you start tipping off that game, you circle it the way Houston's been playing really well, got one of the top scorers in the conference. And if you lose that game, 
you know, do you start to fall where you have the USF game next and then you have a really tough stretch of games? You know, how's the momentum compared to if you win that game like they did, build confidence, continue that momentum through the South Florida game, and now you have this stretch of games that uh, you go take on the challenge. So I think their ability to bounce back has, has been impressive. I think you give the guys credit. Um, you give the coaching staff credit. They've obviously got these guys bought in, and, and they're sticking to the process. But then amazing, Jeff and Eric, because you talk about how thin the bench is, right? I mean, this is this is not like you have your choice of of ten scholarship players, uh, you know, at hand. You're 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 dealt with injuries to BJ Taylor along the way, AJ Davis um, at times, and it's just been impressive how these guys have weathered that storm and adversity, and now they're kind of coming in their own now that they're healthier. How have they done that, Taylor? How have they been able to? offset the lack of depth because that was my biggest concern going to the year it's like well this is this team going to wear down in games uh but it hasn't been it's not been the fact and 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 you know what i see chad brown's been a big positive as far as inside game concern uh but how have they done it with really no depth well i think it's guys like that uh you know a guy that i've really enjoyed watching plays is nathan lang you know a guy that didn't even know he was going to be playing before a little bit before the season and he's come Come in. He's stark. He's a lot of the times. I mean, no one's going to play harder on the court, and he's for the most part takes care of the ball, runs the show, and you know, guys like that. You can't win those games that they have with injuries without guys like that stepping up when their numbers called. Uh, Georgie Moomin, a guy that's getting more minutes and just finding ways uh, to do that. But Chad Brown, a guy to highlight. That. I mean, that guy's really coming into his own. I mean, we talk about Taco Fall. He gets a lot of attention, rightfully so. But when you talk about some of these games, you have lulls of energy. Maybe there's a couple turnovers. It gets sloppy. Um, you have Chad Brown that just kind of makes some plays, gets some offensive rebounds, makes some moves. Um, I remember in the East Carolina game, he was one of the big sparks as well as the Houston game. So I've enjoyed watching him play. His upside's tremendous. He's a good shooter at the free throw line when he gets fouled late in games. So I think it's just key guys like that that have stepped up in different games. Um, you know, it's been impressive to watch. Well, a good segue, too, right there, Taylor, because you mentioned Taco Fall and what he's been able to do this season, which, I, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, inexperienced as I am at really watching this game. I mean, you've forgotten more about this game than I'll ever know. And But, but the thing that I notice is just the footwork that he has underneath now is like night and day compared to last year, where he was kind of awkward a little bit, looked like his shoes didn't quite fit him. Now there's no wasted movement. Yeah, he's had a, he had a couple rough games during that stretch, but workmanlike performance last night, four or six from the field, 10 points, eight rebounds. He's been the straw stirring the drink, particularly on, uh, on the boards. What's been the biggest uh, what's been the what's been the biggest thing that has been the improvement factor for Taco uh, this year compared to last? Sure. You know, I read a story on ESPN uh, not too long ago and, and, and about kind of his story, which is amazing. But I think the biggest difference, not only is he a year older and playing basketball and all that experience from last year, because really last year you started playing well at the end of the year and, and once you get in conference. Uh, but I think it's conditioning. And when you look at the interviews that, that Coach Dawkins has done, uh, you know, they have him on a program, and in the off season, he's a certainly different body type, of course, than anybody else in the country. So it's got special workouts, but, I mean, the minutes he's playing, there's many games this season that uh, he's played over 30 minutes a game. I don't think any of us would have dreamed that 
uh, that would happen. So it's first and foremost his ability to stay on the floor because if you're not in shape, you can't stay on the floor. And another thing is foul trouble. He's gotten better uh, being able to stay on the floor and not committing fouls. And I think when you look at his struggles, if you look at the first half of last night, he got in foul trouble, and that throws off your timing. But when he comes back in, he settles into the game, he has a really, really uh, good second half, which I think would help propel his confidence. After a few games where he just didn't play well offensively, um, I think confidence is key moving into the, the heart of the conference season. But, um, you know, I think his teammates, too, Mark and I talk about this on the radio quite a bit, is it, it, the teammates learning how to play with him. You know, he's a, such a unique player that you can see the coaching staff on the bench. When he's open, you got to get it to him. Because when he's open, he's open. And he's also open when other players wouldn't normally be open, right? You could just kind of pitch it at the rim. So I think not only has he gotten so much better to his credit and gotten in shape, but the guys around him have learned to play better with him. And I think Nick Banyard specifically early on, you'll see him kind of get that post-to-post high-low pass that you'll see. Um, done a good job finding him. What's impressed you about Coach Dawkins here being around the, the team and being around him uh, here in year one? I mean, I've had a chance to talk to him on a couple occasions, and I, I've come away impressed and just – uh, just the way he communicates it with the players and the players have bought in. Uh, what, what's, what's jumped out to you about Coach Dawkins? Sure. You know, I, the, the little time I've spent with him, he was so gracious um, to have me up and sit with him a little bit and just kind of when he first got here and just to say hello, share my support and get to know him a little bit. And the first you know, thing I think about is, is class. He's a guy that's just very warm, genuine. Uh, you can tell he has a, a ton of integrity and um, you know, I really appreciate that about uh, the little I've known him as a person, but obviously his reputation precedes him and, and mimics that. And, uh, but as a coach, he just seems like somebody that has a very healthy and strong intensity um, to do it right on the defensive end, especially. Um, you're just not going to be out there not doing the right things or playing as hard as you, you should. And as simple as that sounds, uh, he's able to kind of hold that standard in his time at UCF and really get that thin lineup to buy in to playing as hard as they can on each possession, whether you're pressing or whether you're in zone or you're in man-to-man. And I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me. Um, clearly, it's it's fun to think about how impressive he was as a player and having a guy like that that has played and coached at the highest level. And I think, I think guys gain confidence from that, knowing that um, he's done it at every level. Uh, with his Duke background, NBA background, Olympic background, and all that stuff. So, um, but more than anything else, uh, I've, I've just enjoyed him uh, being welcome to the Orlando community, and you know, I hope he likes it. Yeah, I really. The one thing I've really been impressed with the most, and I, and I really wasn't anticipating this, was the improvement that UCF made on the defensive end. Uh, right now, tops in the conference in uh, field goal percentage defense. Uh, tops in the conference in uh, scoring defense, giving up just 58 points a game. That's a really impressive uh, look in terms of UCF, and they've done it also by stopping the three-point shot. Teams are only uh, it, teams are only shooting 28 percent from beyond the arc, and they're tops in the league in rebounding offense as well. So you know the defense and the rebounding. Sometimes you know it's easy for us to think of Duke and you know, the Duke system with Coach K and Coach Dawkins that. Um, you know, it's sort of like those sometimes they'll run these like crazy hybrid read offenses, and that's the exciting part of it. But boy, this team's been doing it with defense and rebounding the old fashioned way, haven't they? 
Yeah, they have. And, and you know, it's cool about you look at those numbers, you say, gosh, I mean, how could they be top in the country in those kind of significant categories, especially after, you know, some of the years that we've had previously, we've just really struggled on the defensive end. Um, and, you know, Taco Fall, I'll tell you, flat out has a ton to do with it. Um, but it also has to do with kind of the scheme. When you when you have a shot blocker and a rim protector like Taco Fall, you're able to just do things. He makes up for mistakes. You know, you're able to pressure the basketball. If you get beat off the dribble, you know, a guy like me, you know, six foot one, six foot two guy who can normally maybe take it in and, and go to the rack, draw a foul, draw a foul and finish on a, on a big guy, you're not even going close. You're going in there and shooting a, a teardrop floater or you're trying to drop it to your other guy. So teams really have two choices. You defend the three-point line, you make them put it on the floor, and when they get in, they got to deal with a rim protector like Taco Fall. So it's really teams have to score in the mid-range, and that's that's tough to do. When you're not getting those easy buckets at the rim, um, You know, you're, that's what makes that recipe for disaster for other teams. And that's why at times UCF, you know, one thing they want to work on is is some, some of these games, they have 20-plus turnovers, and that allows teams to kind of stay in games because it gets the easy baskets on the other end. But, man, when they're in the half court, I mean, that's a matchup that nobody in the conference wants to see, whether it's Cincinnati, um, you know, whether it's SMU, because it's just so unique you don't see it. Yeah, and you know what the amazing part is about that? You know, they're forcing them to take mid-range jumpers, which, you know, with the analytics guys, the Kirk Goldsberries of the world, will tell you that that's the yeah. least efficient shot in basketball. And also, I mean, this is amazing to me. The Knights are ninth in the conference in block shots. So that tells me that Taco's presence in there is – enough to keep guys out of the lane where even if he's not blocking a ton of shots you know he's still he, he's still in the back of everybody's mind and they're just staying out of the lane on him yeah and i'm gonna use that staff or that stat jeff because i didn't know that that's ninth <laughs> in the conference with a guy like him you would just wouldn't think that yeah 3.7 um, blocks a game cincinnati leads the league with 6.2 yeah it's amazing but you're right i mean his presence is felt and again, you got guys that can go in there and, and finish on other teams, but I mean, it's just really tough to finish over him. And and, and oh, by the way, when he goes out uh, or he's playing alongside guys like Chad Brown, which are, are great athletes in their own right with plenty of length and athleticism. So, and, and that's one thing too about the team: their overall athleticism. They may be thin and not have the depth that you would ideally have. But they have length and they have team speed overall from the guard position, from A.J. Davis, uh, Tank Effiani, Matt Williams. Those are all guys that can guard multiple positions. And then on the offensive end, they have a mismatch in the post where you see Tank Effiani take advantage of. So I think Dawkins is, is enjoying that kind of versatility uh, on both ends of the floor offensive and defense. What's been your thoughts on the American Conference? I mean, now UCF's getting into a really tough stretch where they got to be on the road for three of the next four. They got to go to Memphis this weekend. Got the home game against SMU, who's right now right at the top there, competing with Cincinnati. They got to go to Tulsa. Does UCF? They got to go back to Houston. You just called that game against Houston. That was a great game uh, that we were at about last Saturday. What's uh, what's your impressions on the American Conference from what you've seen in person and on television in 2017? Man, it's tough. And then for, for a couple of years now, it's been one of the best basketball conferences in, you know, in the country. And I think for people in, in Orlando, as UCF gets better and better and starts drawing more attention, are going to appreciate the kind of games that are rolling through the CFE arena. And, you know, we talk about this stretch of games and Mark and I were talking about it. I mean, that's one you circle, you know, all the next four, whatever it is. 
and you say, wow, you know, not only how far UCF's come as a basketball program to have that kind of stretch of games, uh, but that's something you prepare for. And when you are looking at a conference schedule, the recipe has always been, at least from my perspective and the two different coaching staffs that I played for, is you protect home court and you try to split on the road. And if you do those things, you give yourself a chance to win a conference championship uh, or at least compete for a buy in that conference tournament and try to make a run late or early in March. So, you know, UCF's protected home court, um, you know, in conference, and you hope that they can continue to do that and then steal a couple of these big ones on the road. As you look at the standings right now, Taylor, UCF's at 5-1 and one in the conference, tied with SMU, Cincinnati, right now 5-0, and oh, but the Knights at 14-4 and four overall with this stretch coming up. Now, let me ask you this. I, I mean, I, I know I'm asking you to look into the crystal ball, but, I mean, this is the part of the season where we're going to start thinking about this. Is there a chance that this team could sneak into the NCAA even if they don't win the conference, or are we going to have to wait and see what happens in the conference tournament? What do you think their postseason prospects are at this moment in time? Yeah, this is like when you start talking about this stuff, I get worried about the jinx stuff, right? Right. You know, it's, it's just too early to talk about this. Um, you never know what's going to happen. I think the good news and one of the benefits of being in a, a conference like the American is you're going to have the opportunity to play the SMUs, the Memphis, you know, the Yukons. Obviously, they, they have underperformed this year, but those kind of names that can really garner attention if you start to put W's next to that on your resume. And then, then uh, I think the the tournament resume, I think uh, the committee always gives credit to the teams that are playing hot at the end. You know, so if you're able to you know, get to the conference tournament, put yourself in a good position, string off a couple games, and, and whether you win it or you lose a tough one in the, the semis or championship, I, I think that's what you're looking to do is just put yourself in a position where you're in the conversation and then be playing your best basketball uh, early in March. But but again, good news is you're going to have every opportunity because those big name schools and a lot of talent in front of you uh, to where, you know, it, it before, whether it be A-Sun, C-U-S-A, uh, you nearly have to play uh, a very, very perfect uh, conference run um, to really garner that national attention. You are familiar with some of these uh, places that we're going to Memphis and Houston from your playing days and so forth. Uh, do you have a place that you feel like where you play that was the toughest place you ever had to play as far as arena is concerned on the road? Oh man, you know, it was a tough one. Um, was, was Southern Miss back, back in, in conference USA, obviously not in the American Memphis, you know, gosh, Memphis is a tough place to play, not in the sense of a true college atmosphere, uh, but just in the sense that the rims are tighter. It's an NBA arena. Um, it's just so professional and the stage just feels a little bit bigger. And, you know, those threes that you tend to hit with smaller arenas and looser rims tend to just not go in. And Memphis will put those kind of runs on you. So that was always a very challenging uh, place to play. Played at UConn, um, you know, in January, I think late December, it was like, you know, below whatever degrees. And for anybody who's from Florida, I mean, that's really tough. I think in yeah. shoot around, they didn't even have the heat on. Yeah, so they it's were like brutal up there in Hartford in that in that arena. Yeah, brutal. So, um, you know, a couple of those places, Houston, I'll tell you, that, that's one of my least favorite places to play, too. I mean, there's there's 10 people in the arena. It, <laughs> it's, it's dim delighting. Uh, you know, it seems like the floors aren't mopped every time you play there, um, but it just kind of lulls you to sleep. So you, you really have to be cautious 
depending on which venue and, and where it hits you in the conference schedule, that you don't get caught sleeping and you bring it. That is fantastic. That's great. That is stuff. fantastic. That is great. Uh, one last thing. You obviously been broadcasting with Mark now. Uh, just how did you get into broadcast? Was that something that was in your mind uh, after you've done playing? I mean, give me give me the story background here. How did you get into the broadcasting? Obviously, you've been doing it with Mark now for a while. Yeah, no, Mark recruited me out of middle school. Um, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, uh, you know, something I, you know, I, I, I never really thought I'd be doing. You know, I look back on it now. Gosh, I don't know if it's been five or six years. I know I'm getting older. Um, graduated in 11, obviously played at UCF for five years, developed a relationship with Mark and, uh, you know, Mike O'Donnell, a good friend of mine, um, you know, we're in each other's weddings for, for Christ's sake. He, uh, you know, he was doing it at the time and I really enjoyed, I thought he did a great job. Uh, we talked about it a lot. And, uh, when he made the decision, uh, to go back into coaching and be the director of basketball operations for UCF, um, there was just, there was an opening there and, uh, you know, Mark asked me if, if, if I'd be interested and it was one of those things where he kind of just said, Hey, I don't know exactly what it entails, but of course I'd be, I'd be honored and I'd be very interested. And, and that's where it started. And, you know, he's so good uh, on the radio that it really makes a guy like me, uh, the job is, is a lot easier than it could be. Um, I've learned a ton from him. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting. You do so many interviews over the course of your career, especially in college athletics, I was a guy, if you ask my parents, I mean, I, I was a mumbler. I mean, I would not, uh, to go to dinner with somebody else, my parents would be like, Taylor, speak up, you know, we need you. And, and I'd be 18, 19 years old. So they get the biggest kick that I'm actually uh, public speaking in, in any capacity. So uh, I think that's just a credit to the cool opportunities that college basketball that can provide. You know, you talk about the NBA and, and of course, somewhere along the line, you realize that, hey, maybe the NBA is out of question in your basketball career. But there's just so many other opportunities that basketball can provide sports, college and especially UCF. So, I mean, I'm very grateful and I uh, couldn't say enough about Mark and the guys that we work with doing the radio. I'm just super appreciative. Well, we're glad to have you on board here on the podcast, too, Taylor. We appreciate you coming on. Tell us, uh, tell everyone out there how they can get in touch with you. You know, that's a great question, man. I'm, I mean, on Twitter, uh, Taylor B. Young, B as in boy, um, you know, follow me. And, and I don't put out as much as good stuff and content as you guys, but, you know, I promise I'll work on it. But, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And, and I will just encourage the people listening is, is give UCF basketball a chance. Give us another chance. And uh, it's one of the most exciting uh, times, in my opinion, since I've been involved. And, and I do think that you know, this roster this year is, has some great potential to do some stuff this year. Uh, but next year, uh, there's a tremendous upside. So keep doing what you're doing, guys, and uh, it's good speaking with you. We appreciate you, Taylor. We'll try and get you back on before, hopefully before uh, tournament time. What do you say? Sounds great. Just right. text me or call me, whatever. I'll be there. You got it. All right, Taylor Young joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on! Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. 
And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Continuing to talk about basketball, switch over to the women's side. And obviously we're recording this on Wednesday night, January 18th. And UCF women's basketball picks up a victory uh, this evening against East Carolina on the road. Not an easy thing to do. Knights now 12-6, and 2-3 and three in the conference with a 54-42 victory over the Purple Pirates in uh, Greenville. The Knights... Uh, outscore East Carolina in the fourth quarter, Eric Lopez, 18-7 to en route to the 12-point victory. Uh, leading scorer, Aaliyah Gregory, 17 points, also four assists and six rebounds. And she has really come into her own this year on 7 of 18 shooting. Zai Lewis coming off the bench, uh, did not have the best game in the world, seven points on 2 of 11 shooting. Uh, usually she's a much better shooter than that, but uh, the Knights in particular hitting the boards 49 uh, to 37, the advantage over ECU. And despite the fact that UCF shot only 32% from the field, they held East Carolina to 31, and uh, they got the victory over the Pirates. So you take a look at the American standings right now for women's basketball. Of course, you know you can almost basically just cross off UConn off the top and pretend they're not there. Uh, UCF right now currently in sixth in the American at 2-3, and three, uh, behind uh, Temple at 4-0 and oh in the league. They've won nine in a row, by the way, Temple has. USF's at four and one, tied with Cincinnati. Tulane's in fifth at three and two, and UCF's at two and three. So they got off to that slow start after the, you know, right around the UConn game. But now the Knights have won uh, two in a row on the road at Houston and then at East Carolina in the span of a week. So two big road wins. They come home for two home games Saturday, January 21st, coming up against Tulsa. I'll be on the PA mic for that one, by the way, Eric Lopez. Before uh, the Tuesday night game. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. Before the Tuesday night game against Cincinnati coming up on January 24th. Interesting look there, I think. You know, I like what Coach Abe has done with the lineup. We talked about being a little bit versatile, maybe, and, and credit to Zai Lewis, the senior, who says, you know, I'll do whatever you need, Coach. She comes off the bench and provides a spark when she can. Didn't have a good shooting night against East Carolina, but I like the unselfishness with this team and uh, in what they've shown. They've bought into Coach Abe, and I think it's starting to come to fruition now in conference play. Really is. Uh, first win ever, by the way, at East Carolina. Really? Ever. Wow. For women's basketball. Yeah, how about, how about them, Stan, huh? Uh, they've never won there. Uh, that has been a tough place for this program to win. And uh, so another first for Coach Abe. Add that to the list. Um, and, you know, this team wins with defense. You mentioned the rebounding. Interior uh, play. Reed. She loves yeah. to she loves to dominate the paint, Coach Abe does, and this team has been well, doing that of late. And it, it, what she wants is she wants her team to be physical and be tough, and, 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 and they are. I mean, there's no question about it. They're improved from last year. They're a uh, defensive-minded team, went first, and it's a good win and a good bounce back, too. Remember, this was a lengthy road trip. Uh, you didn't know how they were going to respond. You know, they lost at Cincinnati uh, after the UConn game, and you're like, where is this? You know, you lost a tight home game. Well, they win at Houston, and they win at East Carolina, and now you're 2-3 and three coming home uh, for the game you're calling PA, no pressure, on Saturday, and then – you get a rematch with Cincinnati on Tuesday, the 24th, the game that will be televised on the American Digital Network like it well, the ECU game was. The difference is yours truly, by the way. We'll be calling play-by-play for that one. So, um, Come over I've and just say been, hi. <laughs> yeah, please do. Seriously, uh, just like people did at volleyball, which uh, when I did the game with Aaron Campbell, I'll be working with uh, Despina Barton, who, uh, who works locally at Spectrum Sports. So. Uh, I, you know, look, I'm impressed. The team's playing well. I'm actually going to head out to that Saturday game myself. 
uh, Jeff and to kind of get a closer look, but and, and hope to talk to Coach Abe afterwards. But you know, we spent talking so much about what the amazing job that Coach Dawkins has done, but uh, I think Coach Abe has done a heck of a job herself with this team. Uh, you know, they've got a shot to have a winning season themselves and compare where this team was the last couple of years. That's amazing. Yeah, total credit to the players, you know, who've really bought in very quickly and she's putting them in the right position to win. So, um, yeah, and this is a this is a fun team to watch because they play intense basketball, um, in particular on the inside. Love Tolu Omakore. She's just been uh, – she's so much fun to watch. She, uh, she does she, – I wish that there was a, a stat sort of column for things that don't show up in the stat sheet. Stat sheet. She would lead UCF in that category every, every time out. So – um, this is a good basketball team again. You got that Tulsa game coming up, which is going to be big, uh, and then also uh, and then also Cincinnati. So make sure you keep an eye on UCF women's basketball as well. At twelve and six right now, and six and four uh, at home as they head down uh, head right through the meat of the conference schedule with some big games um, coming up. All right, so as we say that again. Say time, that again. Say that again. Twelve and six. Just put yeah. the. Let's not like. Let's not act like oh yeah yeah twelve and six now you know oh no big deal. This team was seven and twenty three last year. Yeah, yeah. think about that. Isn't big that amazing? It's a phenomenal, unbelievable. Wow. Credit to Coach Abe. She gets my vote for Coach of the Year in the American. You know, if it's the, the Gina Oriyama Annual Coach of the Year Award goes to Coach Abe, no question. So. <laughs> All right, let's talk, I, I want to switch gears. I want to talk about this. Let's talk about tennis real quick because we got to we, we we got speaking of turnarounds, right? Men's tennis three and and0 start in the new uh, U.S. Uh, tennis center down in down in Lake Nono, and what a start it was! Last Saturday, January fourteenth, they knock off Texas Tech four three. Uh, huge celebra- celebration after that match. We saw some of it on social media. It was great. The next day they come back. They beat the University of New Mexico, the Lobos, 4-1. to one. And then three matches in three days, Monday, January 16th at high noon, they knock off Pac-12 competitor Arizona at home. 7-zip, swept them. So John Roddick's UCF men's tennis team is off to a 3-0 and start. Uh, they've beaten a Big 12 team and a Pac-12 team. They've got SEC Auburn coming into town on January 22nd, Sunday. They're off to a really, really good start at the USA National, uh, USTA National Tennis Campus. And uh, couldn't have scripted it better if you're John Roddick, huh? Yeah, first 3-0 and start for UCF men's tennis since 1999. That's a long time. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, this guy and is And against the up. competition that they played this year, too. Yeah, if you weren't a, believe in the, a believer in the hype before, you have to be now. The guy, I told you, he's one of the reasons why he's one of the top in the industry. And it's allowed, I mean, to beat a Texas Tech team, it's very good. Arizona, I mean, you know. They're, they're, and I know in talking to him back in the fall, he was excited about the new players he had coming in right away. He had some transfers coming in and a freshman coming in that he liked a lot. So, and 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 he remember in his first year at Oklahoma they weren't a winning program in tennis and he got them into the tournament that year so I'm telling you don't be shocked if UCF competes at a high level this year and maybe contends for an NCAA tournament bid which in men's tennis my goodness would be remarkable uh, but what a weekend to open that place and to in a memorable way 
to beat Texas Tech. It's something that I don't think anybody that's been following that program and the players and the pe- people will, will ever forget anytime soon. Yeah, and and it's starting to spill over to the to the women's program as well. Remember, they started out actually playing the last couple of matches at the UCF Tennis Complex, won them both. Now, they lost to Iowa 5-2 to two at the USTA campus, but um, but again, this is a much improved team with UCF women's tennis as well. They've got Bethune-Cookman, and this will be fun because Sunday, January 22nd, if you got the chance, come on down to the UCF, uh, to the USTA Tennis Complex and check it out because it's Bethune-Cookman, the men and the women coming in. The women play at 2, uh, or excuse me, at 3 p.m. on Sunday, followed by the men um, at 5, and it should be a gorgeous night for tennis uh, down there uh, for that Sunday. And and actually, by the way, the men, that's two matches in one day for the men's team because they got Auburn, it goes Auburn at noon uh, with the men, then the women against Bethune at 3, and then the men back out there again against Bethune on uh, at, at 5. So a full day of tennis coming up at the uh, tennis complex, and uh, add a girl to Bridget Gale, who's the, uh, who's the who runs sports information and communications for the UCF tennis programs. They've been keeping her busy as well, and we want to give a quick shout-out to Bridget for the hard work that she's done in, uh, in, in coordinating all that. So uh, tennis is underway. Now, oh, go ahead. Now, Eric. by the way, now you got brought up, by the way. I was at the UCF basketball game, and I know this what is a I shock. What do now? You agitated some tennis people, actually, with some comments last week. So I ran into some peep fans I, of the tennis How did I program. agitate tennis people last I, week? I, I will explain this because apparently I ran into some tennis people that the fans, people that also work around the uh, the uh, the recreational places, and they were not pleased with your comments. I guess you made some comment about the puddles at the uh, rec uh, where the tennis courts were for the UCF matches. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly. This was brought to my attention because uh, hey, I, I listen to your podcast. You and Jeff, you do a great job, but but. What did you guys say about, you know, it's not a bad place at all. Some fans, because, you know, people play that, take some pride there. So I want you to readdress for those that are listening, because people listen, Jeffrey. Okay. If you want to clarify any comments that you had about the UCF rec center there at tennis, because you, you, you agitated some people there. Now, you know, they understand, obviously, that the USTA center is this way better and all that. But they, 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 they thought that you took some uh, liberties there with some uh, jabs there. Okay. I did not jab anybody, first of all, all right? So put that out of your mind. Number one, all right, I've co- I covered UCF tennis um, as a student and then, working at the, and then working in the athletic department for a number of years, all right? And there's no question that the, that the, the UCF tennis complex, you know, right next to the, right next to the rec center, that's, that's been the home for UCF tennis for a long time. And it served us well. There's no question about that. Um, if weather got bad, sometimes it was a little rough because, you know, like we said, sometimes, it, especially early in the spring, right, it's going to rain on occasion. You're going to have to hang out for a little bit, wait for the courts to dry out. Those courts sometimes took a little while to dry out because in some places, and they will admit this, the ground is a little bit uneven. Now, like I said, this place, it, it served us well for a long time. And... And and there is a and I do have a little bit. I'll be honest with you. I have a little bit of sentimentality towards it because I, I remember seeing some great matches, some great players. You know, guys like Eugene Dolgovic and um, and uh, Blaze Schwartz playing over there, and, and um, 
Jenny Frisell and um, and and uh, LV Soro and a, a number of players that that you know I I know I'm forgetting some Brock Saiki. Um, I, I I feel bad because I know that there are a bunch of other names that I'm forgetting that I should remember. Alexis Rodriguez comes to mind. Um, uh, and uh, oh man, I uh, oh oh gosh, what well, I, I can see her face right now. Um, uh, she went to Winter Park. Her name was Jenna. Oh my God, I'm such a dope, and I should remember that name. But um, we had some great moments there. There's no question about that. But when you go from the UCF Tennis Complex, God bless it, all it did for us for all those years, and the USTA National Tennis Campus, even they would admit there's just no comparison. No comparison at all. And I think even the coaches would admit that there's no comparison at all between those two facilities. So I'm glad that I was there for the old times. It's kind of like talking about the old arena, right? (laughs) And the good times we had in the old arena – and it was and it was our place and it was our little it was our little it was our little place and a lot of good memories but you know we've moved on to to you know greener pastures and it's good to see UCF have that sort of facility at their disposal so yeah, that, no, I agree. I sufficiently look, clarify everything. I, I look, I, I was caught off guard. Look, I'll be honest. I've only been there like once. I think I was there for a one match once. Uh, so I, I didn't, you know, I was not expecting this when I was at the UCS basketball game. The last thing I was expecting was getting a question about why are you going, taking little jabs at the tennis courts and puddles? There was no puddles. I was not expecting that. It was good people though. They enjoy the UCF and they enjoy the podcast. First of all, uh, and they enjoy big tennis fans. So I just want to make sure, you know, they're like, you know, who said that? And I, well, of course it's Jeff Sharon. I would never say anything negative of tennis at all. I'm a tennis guru. I'm the I'm the 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 supporter. Um, no, um, so I, I support you. Oh, I tennis you. too. Well, you know that's good. I, I defended you there, so I wanted to make sure you clarified your comments. But uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. But feel free to where where to if any other questionable things, just send it to Jeff. Don't send it to me. My, that's all. My uh, my apologies, by the way, to Jenna <laughs> Dorfler, by the way, who uh, Winter Park oh, High School, yeah, had, yeah. who uh, a great UCF tennis player for a number of years, and also Andrea Yakaman from Columbia, yeah, who was, uh, a great player for years, and and Katie Orletsky too from uh, from Titusville. So, um, so yeah, had a blast covering yeah. those folks. Had a total blast, and but you know what, I'm super happy for UCF tennis that they have this beautiful brand spanking new home down in Lake Nona and get if you get the chance to check it out you really should check it out and this Sunday would be a good time to do it all right one other thing that uh, I wanted a couple other things that uh, news and notes that I wanted to bring up UCF cheerleading nationally competitive we all know that right excellent job once again this year at nationals Um, they finish in fourth and Eric what was it what was it I think that's what that how many consecutive years they finished in the top four a lot. I don't remember exactly the amount of years. I don't have it in uh, in front of me, but they've been, you know, they've been consistently top three, top four over the last handful of years, I want to say. Kentucky won it. Uh, they're kind of like a dynasty in this type of thing in cheerleading yeah, recently. Every year, it's con- it really is Kentucky's to lose. And, and I mentioned this, you know, in the UCA uh, competition, um, you, you have to not just nail your routine, and I mean nail your routine, and by the way, this is 12 straight years that UCF Cheer finishes in the top four. 
um, 12 consecutive wow. years. So cheers to Linda Gooch for this dynasty of our own. You, you not only have to nail your routine, you have to hope that they miss theirs somehow. They bobble or someone falls or something. And that, that's how tight it is. I mean, you, you want to talk about the margin for error being small in sports? Go look at competitive college cheerleading because the margin of error, considering the stunts that these people have to do, is so razor thin. Um, and, and it's amazing that UCF is finished in the top four uh, year after year. And, and cheers to, to night moves, too, uh, for, uh, and competing and showing well at UDA as well um, this year as well. So, again, job well done by these two squads. Is, yeah. is, that, is that the best dynasty at UCF? Are they a true dynasty? Wow, that's a great question. Well, first of all, let's just throw this out there. I mean, Linda Gooch at, at some point needs to go to the UCF Hall of Fame, right? I mean, can we just like no can question. we just question right away? I mean, that needs to happen. Um, so I want to get that out of the way. But certainly, uh, it's amazing because, as I've been told, that people that follow this a lot closer than I do, schools like Kentucky actually recruit for cheerleaders. Yeah, actually, they have scholarships. They give away. They give scholarships. Uh, which uh, I, I don't think UCF does able to or, uh, from that regard. So uh, it's pretty remarkable that they've competed at a high level, won national titles, um, you know, and people always look forward to see them perform or night moves perform at half times of performances as we get near that. And it's funny now every Sunday night, uh, every in January during the, when they do the competition and cheerleading, I mean, I've never seen so many people tweet about it. It's, uh, people are definitely notice and, and take notes. So, yeah, I mean, they're uh, certainly have high standard there. Um, Coach Gooch is – it's going to be – the toughest job is going to be whoever ends up following Coach Gooch there, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, good that's, luck with that. that seriously, unbelievable. Uh, it, it's just remarkable. So it's just credit to them and credit to everybody there and uh, another successful year. I know they're disappointed internally because they're always shooting for the national title, but uh, – as I mentioned, uh, there's some obstacles. You know, you're going up against the Kentuckys who have more resources and more, you know, uh, advantages, I'll say. Hey, uh, high, fi- high fives all the way around because they deserve it. Exactly. They certainly exactly. deserve it. Um, and one more note I wanted to pass along before we wrap up. UCF track and field is underway here in the spring. And uh, Knights track and field with uh, 11 top five finishes at the UAB Blazer Invitational. Uh, and uh, cheers for uh, cheers to Chelsea Goburn. She is uh, she's in the weight throw. She won the uh, A American Athletic Conference Field Athlete of the Week, career best sixty five feet one point two five inches in the weight throw. Um, that's the sixteenth best mark uh, in that event this season, all around across the country. So uh, she's from Sarasota. Great job by her on that. That's uh, 65 feet. That's, and we call it the weight throw. It's kind of like the hammer throw, right? I think right. It's, you, you and you know, track and field people, we think of that, you know, old school, we kind of think of that as a hammer throw. But um, a job well done. Like I said, 11 top five finishes for um, UCF. Uh, Janae Bellamy took the, uh, the win in the 60 meters with a 7.47. Uh, she's out of Miami. Um, how about that? Excellent job by her. And then uh, triple jump, Brianna Potter, a sophomore with a career best 
uh, 38 feet 4 inches in that. So I want to get I want to get a shout out to the track and field folks because you know that they don't get enough love and I know that for sure. And we have a heck of a track team here at UCF. So uh, here's hoping that things continue uh, to go well uh, for the UCF track uh, team uh, as we you know remember they're kind of in the indoor season right now. Right. Outdoor season takes place in the second half of the spring. So that's going to be fun to look for. All right, Lopez, what do you got working on this week? Well, I'll be, uh, once again, obviously I produce every day, Tuck and O'Neill, uh, 3 to 7 on Sports Talk 1080, the team Orlando. This Friday I will be uh, filling in for Jerry's off of a, uh, a day off. I'll be co-hosting that day and uh, looking forward to that. And then make a note, Tuesday, January 24th, I will be calling the UCF women's basketball game against Cincinnati for the American Digital Network tip-off at 7 o'clock. I will be calling the game with uh, Despina Barton of Spectrum Sports. So uh, make a note of that. Uh, that's free, so you can watch it. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube and all other devices that the American Digital Network uh, provides. So uh, looking forward to that, calling the women's hoops there, and what's going to be a very important game, UCF and Cincinnati. Uh, so that's kind of what uh, I've got on the slate here coming up here in the next week. Yeah, what I've got coming up, women's basketball. I will be uh, on the mic for the Tulsa yep. game coming up uh, this Saturday at 1 p.m. Uh, that game will be on UCFnights.tv leading into your play-by-play game uh, against Cincinnati. So I will be uh, doing PA for that nice. game. I'll probably, I'm, I, think so I'm gonna head, fun. I think I'm going to head out to the Tulsa game. I might just heckle you from the stand. Yeah, I might just heckle you. No? I'll I'll give I I will call you out on the microphone. I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not you know. Eric Lopez, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. All right. So, thanks yeah, again, I'm Eric. Sure that'll go well, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm sure I'll keep my job if I do that. All right. So, uh, so once again, don't forget you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon, and you can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. That's where you get all the latest info. And also, don't forget to follow us uh, on uh, on Facebook as well at Black and Gold Banneret. We've got some more things coming down the pike that I think you'll be excited about. Of course, recruiting is heading down the pike. We don't do recruiting news around here very much, and there's a reason for that. It's because I hate it. But uh, we'll hopefully have some more insight on that in the coming uh, weeks with Football Recruiting National Signing Day at the beginning of February. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you don't already on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and tune in. Uh, and also on uh, on iTunes, don't forget to leave us a rating as well. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us what you think we can do better at. Uh, love the feedback here uh, as well. So for Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week. <laughs>